Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this is going to be just a touch different than probably the last 500 vodcasts I've done, which tend to be CT of the liver, pancreas, kidneys, bowel, and you name it. And I thought about this one because a number of people have made some comments to me about this, and there's been a few recent articles which I'm going to discuss, and just some of the things that I've noticed recently. And I, I entitled this Excellence and the Danger of Mediocrity. And I think in many walks of life, including what we do in practice, there is this great danger of just doing enough or just getting by. And that really is a real big problem. And I also entitled this, if I needed a second title to this, I was going to call it Why Giving Out Trophies to Everyone is Worse Than Giving Out Trophies to No One. And let me explain what that means in just a second. I think the challenge all of us face these days are things we seem to hear everywhere. And it goes something like this, who is responsible or is anyone responsible? Is there a right or is there a wrong? Is everyone entitled to the same benefits and regardless of their contribution to the effort? If something goes wrong, is there someone to blame or is everyone blameless? Is my time worth more or less than your time? Is it good for me to work longer hours but not good for you? I have high expectations for you, but not for me. And for those who have high expectations, is it reasonable to constantly lower your expectations to be able to say, well, it's good enough? And the comment, it's good enough, probably is really a negative comment because if it's good enough, it probably isn't good enough. It's not great. And the way I like to think about it is I played Little League Baseball, like many people played Little League something or other. And I was not the biggest or the fastest or the best of the bunch, but I tried really hard and I uh, did pretty well. But what, what I do remember more than anything else is you played in a league and there was a number of teams. And if you finished first, you got a trophy. If you didn't finish first, you didn't get a trophy. And everyone understood the rules. And sometimes, you know, if you weren't as good as the other team, you knew it the second you walked on the field. And in times, losing became close to winning was actually almost like a victory. And we all knew if, you know, I was 4'10 and the other kids were 5'11, you probably weren't going to be incredible uh, trying to go over, shoot over them playing basketball. But, you know, I think the fact that you tried hard and there was winners and I won't say losers, but there was a winner. It was a great impetus to try harder the following season. And you walked away saying, well, we'll do better next time. But you, at least you felt like you tried and there was an end reward. These days, I notice for my kids when they were playing, and everything you see these days is you finish first, you get a trophy. You don't finish first, you get a trophy. You finish last, you get a trophy. And if you look at the kids when they get the trophy, no one's very excited because the truth is the value of the trophy becomes zero or actually worse than zero if everyone gets them. I mean, it's nice to say we're all equal, but th that's not really life, and that's not, a, that's not a negative thing. If you're playing sports, I mean, you know, this is a couple weeks ago where um, the NCAA, uh, Kentucky, beat Kansas in the finals. I mean, Kansas had an incredible run. They beat six or seven teams to get to the final, but at the end of the day, Kentucky won. It wasn't like Kansas was a bunch of losers, but Kentucky won. And when President Obama invited a team to the White House, he didn't invite Kansas. He invited Kentucky. He didn't invite Kansas and Kentucky. He just invited Kentucky. And that's just the way it is. And this idea about everybody getting a trophy, I think, is horrendous. 
And I think it really diminishes what we're trying to, to do. I think at work, you're trying to make people do an excellent job. And is good enough or let me give you a trophy because you showed up at work or let me give you a reward because you showed up on time. Those things are really, really negative. It doesn't change the people who have subpar performances. And I think what it does do is the people who are really the hardest working is the people who really are giving you 110% at times kind of say, why bother? Okay. So let me look at this from a positive then perspective. What can you do about it? And I, I found two really good articles in the last two weeks, and that's what I'm going to discuss with you today. One was in Harvard Business Review, and one was in Fortune Magazine. And I'm going to review both of them individually. Uh, at the end of the lecture, you're going to see links to take you to both of the sites. I recommend you read the articles. They're terrific articles. I've shared them with a few people at Hopkins, and everyone thought they were wonderful. They're not articles that take three hours to read or even 30 minutes. They're very easy reading, but I think it's something you read like three times because you learn something new each time. And I'm going to review each of the articles. They're different, but I will tell you they are the same. And the first article is this article on the real leadership of Steve Jobs. And this is by Walter Isaacson. And this was Harvard Business Review this month. And as you know, Walter Isaacson wrote the autobiography of Steve Jobs. It's been very well played out. Of course, there's been some arguments about how perfect Steve was or wasn't, and that's not really the point. And I think in this article by Isaacson, what he did is he said, forget the personality traits, per se, and the quirkiness. Let's just look at what his leadership was. And I love the article because they made it into icons. And in fact, they have, you can see, 14 icons, and each of these icons represented something, and it was discussed with a half a page. Uh, by Walter Isaacson. And I thought what I would do is, instead of doing all 14, you can read yourself, and some I wanted to stay away from just because you want to be very careful. And I thought I would look at literally seven of the things he mentioned. So, and let me go through them, what I think he was saying and how we can look at it. The first thing he spoke about was focus. And it's really Nothing can be said more than the word focus. It is the most important thing. And his conclusion was focus on a few things but do them well. Just running around like a chicken without a head, as often we see ourselves doing or others doing, just doesn't do it. Too many things at once is a distraction. Figure out who you are and what you want to be and focus on that only. You can't be everything to everybody all of the time. You need to really do things well. The reward isn't doing things well. If you're doing CT, do that incredibly well. If you're doing ultrasound, do that incredibly well. Do something really well. Don't be trying to run around. Too many distractions are not going to make you successful. Second thing, simplify. And I will tell you, you everyone has the same experience at every hospital you work at. Things become more and more complicated. At times, people think making things more complicated to the point that no one understands them is actually a positive thing. Well, what Isaacson said was the way Jobs thought that less is more. Simplicity means conquering complexity and developing elegant solutions. Simplicity is not dumbing down things. It's really the reverse. People make things so complicated, no one knows what's going on. People can't perform their tasks. It really makes things incredibly bad and incredibly stupid. If you simplify, and that's beautiful, simplify means conquering complexity. Avoid clutter. 
and in their business make the user experience simple. I'm on a committee at Hopkins, and I was saying, you know, from a patient, what does the patient want? The patient wants an incredible experience when they come to the hospital. We can't always do the right thing by patients. Patients come in with cancer sometimes, and that cancer is going to kill them or it's going to kill one of their loved ones, and there's nothing we can do about it, okay? That's just reality. This is medicine. We're not God. We're trying to do the best we can, but you have a bad disease, and it's metastatic. There's no, there's no drug. There's no chemotherapy. There's no radiation therapy that's going to cure that patient. But it's the experience, knowing you come and your loved one or yourself is taken care of correctly, diagnosed correctly, managed correctly, everything works. Is that experience that, that's important. And the way I like to think about it is, in my house, we have a TV remote. We have this new Vios. I didn't watch much TV, but now I watch zero because I can't figure out how to use the damn Vios. There's a thousand channels. I went to watch Tiger Woods the other week. I went through a thousand twenty-five channels and couldn't find it. If I had a TV twenty years ago with thirteen channels, I would have found it. So really simplify. Less is more. A third thing: take responsibility end to end. And I think that is one of the most important lessons. You're responsible for everything. That means the patient who is your customer. You're responsible from the time they drive up to the hospital or the clinic to the time they leave. It's not just the moment they're with you, it's everything. That entire experience needs to be optimized. If they have a miserable time registering at the front desk, there is nothing you can do in CT to make things better. And take responsibility. I think the most important thing is the buck stops here, Harry Truman. You've got to take responsibility. It's not someone else's fault and it's not someone else's problem. It's your problem. If people take responsibility, this idea end-to-end -end really makes things incredibly better. Another thing, put products before profits. Now, again, what they're talking about a business, but it, it really affects what we think about. Don't compromise short-term wins for the bigger picture. Think of the big picture and not one part of the picture. Long-term success may mean short-term costs. And that is so important. You've got to think about what our goal is. Our goal is great patient care, great interpretation of studies. What does it take to make that happen? You know, just cutting back and saving a few bucks today by cutting a couple techs or doctors or whatever else you want may not be the right answer because if you don't deliver the services you need to do, if the quality of the studies is not where you need to be, your long-term success is just not going to be there. So for us, it's thinking about how to deliver services in a cost-efficient fashion, but not to cut things in a way that you hurt the quality. Another thing that was spoken about was push for perfection, and that is really ideal. Now, we all know you're not going to be perfect. Mistakes do happen and everything else, but that doesn't mean you can't try to be perfect. Try to make the perfect encounter, the perfect event, the perfect experience for the patient. Do not compromise and just make it okay because that's not what you want. When you go to a restaurant, when you go to a store, it's the experience and it needs to be perfect for you or for the patient. Make even the things people may not see perfect. Take great pride in your work and that's so important. Um, in this article, he talks about building a cabinet where the back wall or, or the computer with the posterior of the computer where people don't see inside, they still made it 
high quality because it was the pride in the work, not just worrying about what someone saw, but it's the pride in your work. And the shortcuts are not good beyond the short term as you build nothing that lasts. And there's been many articles, many people speak about this. You need to build for the long term. So again, planning, really thinking things out is incredibly important. Engage face-to-face. I mean, you can't overemphasize that. In this era where people send emails by the thousands, I get hundreds of emails a day. You get overwhelmed. You don't even talk to people. You're getting these emails upon emails. At the end of the day, nothing speaks. Nothing is better than speaking one-to-one or face-to-face. Email does not build relationships or ideas. Uh, one of the things that Steve Jobs did when I visited Pixar, everyone eats in the same restaurant. People have to congregate. It's right in the middle. You want coffee, you want lunch, whatever you want. Same thing at Apple's headquarters in Cupertino. Everyone's in the same place. It really forces you to interact. Think about it yourself. The person who sits next to you at work, the next office, is someone you have the most contact with. If you're a junior faculty member, if you're near a senior faculty person, there's a good chance they're going to help you. You're going to probably be mentored by them because that nearness makes things happen. You're two blocks away. I mean, you see them once a week or once every other week for a few seconds or in the hallway. That's just not going to happen. And one of the things they also mentioned is for presentations, PowerPoint is wonderful when we give lectures at meetings because you want to show the cases. But if you're discussing things, PowerPoint tends to put everybody asleep, and you're not really talking to the audience. You're reading your PowerPoint slides. And then the last thing almost is know the big picture and the details. Um, Think about the entire process you're doing. Think about the big things as well as the little things, and both are equally important. If you only think about the big picture, the big vision, well, you don't reach the big vision unless you do a thousand little things well. And in fact, it's the little things that often make the big picture more relevant and easier to understand. And the last thing, which I won't go into, the last thing, number 14, was to stay hungry and stay foolish. And that just means at the end of the day, you need to be enjoying yourselves. You need to be in an environment where things are fun. Again, you have to work. I mean, we're in a business. You know, we're in healthcare. People's lives are at risks. People's lives are at stake. We read films. You've got to read them correctly. But at the end, you know, you need to have that hunger. You need to be really excited about what you're doing. And indeed, I think that's just so important. Okay, part two. There's an article about the 12 greatest entrepreneurs of our time and what you can learn from them. So it's our time, so it's not like in the history of mankind, so you don't have Henry Ford and Edison and all that. And there's an article by John Byrne in Fortune magazine. Really, really good. Now, the thing was, they picked 12 people, and here they are. And when you look carefully, you could say, of course, you know, computers, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Larry Page, and Bryn, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Jeff Bezos, Amazon. But then you look beyond there, all of a sudden there's FedEx. All of a sudden there's Starbucks. You go to the next one, Facebook, okay, fine. But there's Whole Foods. Whole Foods sells, it's a grocery store. Southwest Airlines, Infosystem is a big company out of India that does technology. Walmart and Grameen Bank, which you may not know much about, but that's the bank that loans in third world countries to people without interest to help them kind of uh, uh, build small businesses. But when you think about how they reach those 12 people, it's kind of a range of things. Some are obviously predictable. Steve's on top of every list. 
But they, what they did is, and again, you can argue the list, as they said, everybody would argue, any list you pick, the greatest songs of all time, you're going to have a thousand arguments. But it was based on the social and economic impact of the people, the world-changing vision of a founder who has inspired employees and other entrepreneurs alike, a record of innovation, and the actual performance of their companies over time. Well, when you read the articles, what was the key thing I think that I saw that was the same, whether you were doing coffee or an airline or a supermarket or a computer company? Each of the people had a vision of what the company should be or do. They had self-confidence and they did risk-taking and they were not living with the status quo. I mean, you think about Starbucks for a second. There's been a million coffee shops in this world. There are still a million coffee shops. But that Starbucks does it wherever you are. It's the same. It's the same experience. It's the same quality service. If you've ever been to Whole Foods, it's the quality of the food, the experience, the whole process. They challenge conventional thinking. You know, you didn't need one more airline. Southwest did it differently. You weren't assigned seats, but you can carry your bags for free. Be selective who works with and for you. I think at the end of the day is if you're a big company, you have 50,000 employees, you better have 50,000 good employees. To have 20,000 20, good employees and 30,000 plus minus employees, it's not going to allow you to do the vision you want. Be your own biggest critic. You're not always right. So constantly look at how you could do things better and different. Leadership skills and not be afraid to show who is the boss. Each of those leaders really was the boss. There was no doubt who was in charge at Apple or Microsoft or any of those other companies. Build on strong foundations. Think long term. Think about what I said a few, months, a few minutes ago with Steve Jobs said. Be proactive and not reactive. Think the present as well as the future. A good rule people very similar have tried as a school rule. They do of their 100% time commitment, 70% is on the core of the company, 20% for adjacent areas and expansion, and 10% for anything goes. You need to be thinking about what could be, not just what is. You need to be thinking about the future, not just what is today or just tomorrow. And then discipline, bottom line efficiency, and back to basics focus. That focus indeed becomes critical. The thing from Isaacson about simplify. What else? Think about being a team. Create a culture that supports the employees. Develop an enduring value system. Each of the 12 companies that were listed there has a value system, and every employee knows what's expected and what's not expected, and each of them knows what they need to do. Understand all components of your company, including supply chains, to maximize efficiency. Take risks when needed. So again, it's saying that you need to, these companies are alive, they've been very successful and success, you can say, well, you know, success sometimes is luck, but it's not really, it's this planning, it's the thought process. Many companies have been in computers and have failed. Look at HP, the disasters they've had. Think about companies that had it all. Eastman Kodak would be a good example. They had it all, and now they have nothing, now they're bankrupt. They didn't know how to change, they didn't know how to build, they didn't recognize what they needed to do for the next hundred years. And that's what you really need to think about. So what could you learn from these two articles? Well, you can say you can learn nothing, doesn't really affect me, you can learn maybe something. Well, I think the answer is probably you can learn everything. 
it really, when you read the articles, it really f makes you think about what it is you can do and perhaps what you should be doing. There's two great, great quotes that really fit in there. Thomas Edison, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. And it is true, at the end of the day, one thing that each of those companies had and one thing that Steve Jobs said very clearly is you do have to work. If you're not willing to work and put the time and the energy in, if you're not willing to do that, it's not going to happen. Let's, let's be honest. And of course, you always can be pessimistic. Churchill had a great quote. A pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. And that is really a good point. You know, things are not always going to go well. You know, Apple was nearly bankrupt. Uh, Starbucks was doing very poorly. Schultz came back out of retirement and redid the company. So sometimes things just don't go well. Whole Foods made an acquisition of 120 stores from some company and nearly bankrupted the company. Now they've come back, but people do make mistakes. These companies are not perfect, but yet, you know, they kept looking for that opportunity. So with that, I'll leave you the two links. It's worthwhile reading, and hopefully it's something to think about. I think there's great opportunity in radiology. At times, we always worry about reimbursement and rules and the government and Obamacare and you name it. And it is probably not as easy as it used to be, and there are challenges and limitations for all of us. But I think, you know, in many ways, it's still going to be the best of times. And with that, uh, have a great day.